0: Welcome to the Author Blur Podcast. Here, we're here to connect readers and authors so that the readers, you, can find that book or that author you're going to love. So I appreciate you being here. Get ready. Enjoy the show. Enjoy knowing the authors. And remember, subscribe. Tell people about the show. And go buy the author's books because if you like listening to them and you think they're interesting, they're going to love hearing from you. So I'm here with JG Gardner. At least that's where you can find his book, the path from regret under Jeffrey. I appreciate you being here. I'm really looking forward to talking to you. Like I said, I'm a fantasy fan myself. So I really want to learn more. Your book is a, from what I understand, a bandit of misfits and, mages and all sorts of things that just the reviews make it sound good so thank you for being here if you don't mind could you tell everyone a bit about yourself about your book and then we can learn more about it all
1: sure so thank you very much uh for the introduction first of all and uh sure so um i was born and raised in a small rural part of northern wisconsin Um, and got into reading at a very early age. I really appreciate uh, my parents getting me uh, always with a book in my hands. And so the earliest stories that I remember reading were adventure stories, survival stories, and they they had all kind of a historical slant. So I remember reading stories about Davy Crockett, Daniel Boone, Voyagers of the uh, the Great Lakes region, uh, which mm-hmm. is where I'm from. And so the kind of the frontiersman types of stories uh, were always very interesting for me. And, and kind of the, the survival aspect was was really exciting. And as I got a little bit older uh, at the, the public library uh, in my town, uh, I came across a copy of Jane Yolen's Dragon's Blood. And so that was kind of the turning point for me. Uh, and so basically after that, I only ever really read uh science fiction or or fantasy um because that book was was both so uh dragon's blood and kind of the the pit dragon trilogy trilogy that she wrote was this idea of science fantasy it had by and large low technology and it had kind of a, a caste system and it had gladiatorial fights between dragons but it also had every once in a while a spaceship and a laser gun and as a young person reading that, that kind of just blew my mind of, of how you could have science fiction and fantasy at the same time mashed together. Um, and so that was really my introduction to those genres. And I really never looked back. And so uh, through high school, started reading all of the Star Wars novelizations and found all of the books by – published by TSR. So that's like Dragonlance, Forgotten Realms, things like that. And also read some of the, the classics uh, as well. Uh, so things like Lord of the Rings and Dark Materials and things like that. Um, and then when I went to university, I went to the University of Wisconsin, and really my my recreational reading kind of dropped off a little bit. Um, but I was able to, when I went to graduate school uh, for my PhD, I, uh, a friend of mine introduced me to the culture series, Ian Banks. And again, that's, that's sci-fi, huge space opera. So have have kind of all through my my life really been interested in science fiction and, and fantasy. And so in terms of, okay, how does that being a, a reader kind of flip into being a writer? And that's always been my creative outlet. So most people want to try to create something. You might be a writer or a painter or a musician or uh, work in a, a garden. Or you like to, uh, you know, um, decorate your home, like whatever. There's something of a creative thing where you want right. to make your space personal for yourself and create something where you you have uh, some some creative outlet. So for me, it was it was writing, and I got my very first rejection letter when I was 11 years old. So I wrote <laughs> a, a short story for a magazine called Highlights for Children, which is actually still around. Right, um, I know and so... my son gets it okay great um <laughs> so uh tried to get a story published there and got a very nice form rejection letter and when you're 11 years old you don't know what that means you're just like okay i write this cool story and they didn't like it i'll try again later and then you go outside and play and you kind of forget about it um <laughs> right. and so then when uh i was uh older and in high school and, and early college um i wanted to try again and and reading all of the fantasy stories with with kind of wizards as the protagonist i said okay i'm gonna write a Story about a cool wizard too, and was getting back all of these form rejection letters from magazine of science fiction and fantasy, Asimov's, realms of fantasy, Dragon magazine. So kind of all of the the places you you would send stuff back in the late 80s, early 90s. Right. And again, this was the time when you are sending paper copies in with a self-addressed stamped envelope, and so then mm-hmm. a few weeks later you always kind of get this bummer when you, you open up the mailbox and you see a, an envelope with your own handwriting on it. Cause you know, it was a rejection <laughs> letter. Um, but collected those and, and everybody collects their rejection letters. I think at least I did, because that's still right. part of my, my writer's journey. And so, um, then once I got to university, I really kind of stopped writing because I really wanted to focus on my, my university stuff. Um, and so then through my bachelor's degrees and my PhDs, and then now trying to get a, a faculty job at a university and then, um, working as a university professor, my creative writing stopped. And so uh, I really stopped writing for 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 recreation or, or kind of for my own creation for about 15 years. Um, so that's a really long gap. Right. Then a couple things changed. Um, one is I was tenured at my university and then my first child was born. And so those two were kind of life-changing events and they help you kind of take stock of what's important. And when my first child was born, uh, my university uh, generously offers paternity leave, so I, I took it. And then during paternity leave, there's lots of downtime. So you you've got mm-hmm. a family as well, so you know that uh, during uh, you, when you've got a very young infant, it's, it's kind of a cycle. So you've got you you feed the baby, and then the baby falls asleep, and then the baby wakes up. You change the baby. So it's it, there's a, very much a routine. And when you get into that routine, your mind sometimes goes into autopilot. And in those moments of autopilot, I started thinking about the old stories that I wrote about when I was uh, in high school and in early college, and that led me to thinking, well, this is actually kind of a neat, a neat idea. Uh, Let me write this down quick. So I pulled out my old writing journal, and back when I was writing notes and ideas by hand, and I wrote down a couple ideas, and those couple of ideas led to a couple pages, uh, a couple chapters. And then finally, once my paternity leave was over, I I looked back and said, wow, I've actually got something here. And more than just a short story, which which is what I used to write, but actually, I I think a few chapters of what could be a novel. And so then that was kind of the the spur that I needed to drive me forward and say, I'm going to actually try to do this. I'm going to actually try to write and complete a novel, which I had never done before. I thought that was super ambitious, but I wanted to give it a try. And I figured I'm going to do this in a measured way so just chipping away nights and weekends an hour or two at a time uh you know 500 word chunks at a time I was able to uh finally assemble the draft that became the ultimately the the path from regret so it took um maybe a year year and a half to actually assemble the novel and then looking at okay how do I actually get this published um, and so that's kind of like the the, the stage two. So I guess in, in terms of answering your your question, that's really kind of what got me me started in terms of, of background and being uh, a big fan of fantasy and science fiction and wanting to have uh, some type of creative outlet in in writing or or literature and kind of blending those interests together, and uh, you know kind of having some big um, life changes. Um, was the the final kind of ingredient that i needed
0: to actually get the book written all right now let's go in a bit about the book because the path from regression from regret what i mean that's an interesting title alone for a fantasy novel so what from that i kind of get like a more of a drama than a fantasy feel from it but like i said the contents of the book itself really stands out and sounds extremely interesting to me. So where did the idea and everything from this come from, or how did you – what is the premise of the book, I guess, is the best question.
1: Sure. So I think the easiest way to start is uh, the back cover copy. So I think what I do is read the back cover copy and then answer your questions in terms of why is the title A Path from Regret, which actually kind of sounds more like a self-help book than a fantasy. <laughs> kind um, of, yeah right and so where does that title come from and what's the meaning behind that that title and um you know where are the the elements or you know what how do you balance if like you say kind of the the character interactions and the drama versus the 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 plot versus kind of the the fantastic or the the magical elements and so uh if you you pick up a copy of the book the back cover copy would would say this um thorn is a paragon a mage with the rare ability to wield his mana as a weapon despite knowing powerful magic he lives a life of despair, continually fighting a losing battle against his inner demons and the specters of the people whose lives he could not save. Finally reaching his breaking point, Thorne decides to seek out an old lover, Celeste, who has the power to erase memories. After a disastrous attempt to find Celeste destroys part of the Mage's Guild, Thorne tries to make amends by volunteering to find an influential mage that has disappeared. During his investigation, Thorne discovers that the missing mage was the victim of a conspiracy led by Rihanna, a former paragon and bitter rival. Recruiting an unlikely set of allies, including a disgraced cavalier, a farmer turned mercenary, and a corsair captain who lost his ship, Thorne chases after Rihanna in an attempt to stop her plans for sowing the seeds of rebellion and war across the continent. Along the way, Thorne will need to continue his search for Celeste, and perhaps more importantly, decide if wiping his mind clean of past mistakes is really his only option. So from that uh, back cover copy, you can kind of get a hint of where the path from regret comes from. Thorne is he's a middle aged wizard. He's kind of going through a, a midlife crisis. He's mm-hmm. got all of these very painful memories, all these mistakes he feels have kind of worn him down. And he finally says, I can't take this anymore. Something has to give. And with his experience as a wizard and, and kind of his adventures, past adventures, he knows someone who might actually be able to relieve some of his his suffering. And so it's this uh, person, Celeste, a former lover of his, who has this unusual and unique power that can actually erase memories. And so the idea is um, the path from regret as a title is an idea. Is, is he traveling away from regret or is he traveling to it by making bad choices. And you can think of it as kind of a a play on the road to redemption. So that's kind of a common idiom where you're going towards something better. And so the path from regret, hopefully you're moving away from regret and something to something better. uh, And are you leaving something bad behind? But then kind of what the last bit of the back cover copy suggests is, um, and this is where we're kind of the interpersonal and then the drama comes in, uh, the the uh, a debate that is in the the novel, and you you might have as a, as a reader is, would you want to do that yourself? So if you have this magical ability to remove you know your painful memories, is that something you want to do? And I could imagine one camp saying y- yes because I don't need them anymore. They cause all this this pain, and I don't want that burden. And I could see some people saying no, I don't. That makes me who I am. Those mm-hmm. struggles provide the uniqueness to, to me. And so that's kind of the back and forth coming in. So in the novel, there's two point of view characters. There's, there's Thorne, obviously. And then Mm -hmm. there is uh, another character named Carleon. He is the disgraced cavalier, which is what I call the knights in, in the book. And so he's part of this mercenary crew that Thorne hires to chase down Rihanna. So in terms of the character interactions, Carleon is quite young. He's in his early 20s, and his perspective on the world is very different than Thorns. And so as they uh, go on this chase, which is kind of the, the plot portion of the book that I'll get to in a second, how they want to solve problems or how they interact with the characters along the way is very different. And so that's something that I like to play with as well, kind of the, the perspective of people when they're very young versus when they're, they're very old. And so uh, there's a, a quote that's attributed to Muhammad Ali, which I, I think is true, um, <laughs> that says a man who thinks at 50 years old, as he did when he was 30 years old, has wasted 20 years of his life. And so whether that's correctly attributed to him or not, I like that idea that um, Mm -hmm. how how you solve problems or how you think about the world when you're 20 is gonna be very different than when you're you're 40. And so that interaction between those characters and those ages is interesting to me. And so that plays into kind of themes of the book, which are memory, time, and regret. So how you think about memory, Time and regret as someone in the middle of your life is very different than someone in the in, in when they're young, and so those are kind of the themes I'm thinking about in terms of of plot. Uh, again, it's a the story is a chase, and it's a chase set in a, a fantasy world. So this is a, a secondary world situation. So it's not Earth; it's something completely made up. And the um, the 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 magic system I think is actually really unique. So maybe later on uh, in the episode we can talk about the, the magic system. Um, But in terms of kind of the technology development, again, it's going to be its own world and its own culture. But uh, in order to to place it, you could think that it's most similar to like Renaissance Italy or Renaissance Europe. That's okay. going to be kind of the the culture, the food, uh, the, the the tech level, right? And the kind of how people perceive uh, perceive the world. And the plot is really a chase. And first, it's chasing down clues. Why is this mage missing and then finding out okay something bad happened to this person and it's part of a larger plot and then chasing down clues as to what is this plot and then finally chasing down oh it's orchestrated by someone that Thor knows and is an old rival and they're not on great terms with and now they actually might be doing something sinister so how do you stop this plot so throughout the the book uh it's Thor and his 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 mercenary crew and then there's a couple other uh, mages that join the group later on for a couple um, reasons that we can talk about later and uh, then it's a, a chase chasing down uh, people and clues and then ultimately uh, the conspirators, the conspirators uh, of this this sinister plot and hopefully throughout the, the story there's kind of these these peaks and valleys of people saying okay oh we got this one kernel of information what are they going to do with it And how are they actually going to complete the chase before Rihanna finishes whatever plan she has in mind?
0: All right. Now, with that, so what you mentioned, there's a magic system, a knight or a cavalier. You mentioned that it's a whole fantasy. And I guess here's one thing that kind of comes to my mind is when I think of fantasy, I've read read a fantasy where... They have different types of people, different, like dwarves and elves. And then they have, there's one book that I just read that had people in it that you've never heard of. And they don't explain, like you said, Cavalier is your type of knight. And I'm imagining you talk about, like, the swordplay or the different things that knights would do to kind of indicate he's a knight. So, do you follow with the traditional elves, dwarves, humans, knights, people like that, or do you add in characters of your own that is unknown to people and has to be figured out in your story?
1: I'm gonna say it's more the latter one. so there there are um fantasy races, so there there's humans and then kind of every flavor of 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 human um that you would expect. but then there is also um I guess i would I would uh, call them a a a shortened race, not necessarily dwarves per se, but they're, they are a people called the Venhadar. Um, but they are, I guess the closest Tolkien equivalent would be, they are dwarves. They are, they are a short race. They are stocky. They are hardy. Um, but, um, they are kind of distinct from, from humans. Then there is another fantasy race that is a, a feline race that's called the Sehenru and they are essentially cat people. Um, so the, you, they have, um, so they're, so don't think like Thundercats, like the ancient cartoon, um, and, and don't think like cats, the, the, the creepy CGI musical movie. Um, right. but, but they're, they're closer more in terms of, um, um, I, uh, closer to maybe the, the, the race of cat people from some of the, like, um, Elder Scrolls, like Skyrim and, and Morrowind and stuff like that, where they actually have the feline head. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a body that looks more human, but it is covered in fur. Their fingers and their toes are shortened, uh, but not clawed, and but they do have um, kind of the, the the frontal fangs and the the whiskers and the eyes with the vertical pupils and the ears on the top of their head that can rotate. Uh, so the, it's it's a uh, kind of a blending of of cat and and human, and then there is a third race. Uh, that are essentially mer- merfolk, uh, and they are called the Ishwas, and they um, they they most closely represent, or they most closely look like, say, um, a cross between the Navi from the Avatar movies and Kevin mm-hmm. Costner's character from Waterworld. Um,
0: okay.
1: So, so they are they are they look human, uh, but they have blue skin, and their gills are. Um, along the ribs of their back so they have a set Perfect. of ribs that are basically along the ribs of their back so they and and they look human-esque so they look, again they look more like kevin Coster than the navi right. they have the, the blue skin and and the the, the dark hair and they are a, a merfolk in that they they can live on land for short periods of time but they predominantly live in the the seas so those are the the races uh in terms of that are humanoid then there are two other uh not races per se and then they're, they're not creatures and they're not races but there are obviously dragons uh in in this uh story but they're not traditional giant lizard dragons they're actually more akin to um dragons from from asian cultures and they look more like giant tigers with dragon characteristics and All then right. there are um what i call pixies and so they they are they are sprites they are holy magical beings uh elementals i guess would be another way to to think of them and they're only (laughs) about yay high um they're only about a foot or so tall and they are often the companions and um courtiers of the the dragons and so really those are all of the races and creatures and and types of characters that you would find in the, the path from regret uh, so asking to your question in terms of the the knights and the and the or the the cavaliers those are uh in a traditional sense the the military of the mm-hmm. of, of the nations and so they behave very much functionally like the the knights that you'd expect from uh germanic or or english lore in terms of the horsemanship and the arms and armament that that they would have
0: all right now as for, like, the mages, the magic system, you said that you had a a magic system that you felt was unique to your story. W- can you go in a bit about that? Because I've read, I mean, as I said, fantasy person here. So I've read multiple types of magic systems. In fact, I'm going through a fantasy series for probably the third time again that isn't interesting where... They have a elemental magic system. So, I mean, what is your what is your magic system different from the other people, or what would it be similar to?
1: Sure. So, the, the similarity is in the elements manipulated, and it's the classical four elements: so fire, earth, uh, air, and and water, and then combinations thereof um to generate ice electricity stuff like that but so that's the common part it's, it's kind of the those classical elements what is unique about the magic system is how it is generated and manipulated and again this is not unique i did not think of this idea but it is very uncommon i do not come across, okay. it, come across a, 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 it often and it is a, it is the idea that magic is a chronic disease and so hmm. the idea of magic as a chronic disease is this and so the The concept is the ability to use magic is not unique and special. You are not a chosen one that can use magic. There's two types of wizards in the Path from Regret or in the world that I've created. There's those that are born innately able to use magic, and that's kind of the sad version. I'll I'll talk about why that's sad in a second. And then there are those that choose to have their mind unlocked to magic. Anyone has the potential to use magic uh, in the world that I've created if they choose to go through an initiation and actually have their mind unlocked to magic, but very, very few do. And that's because magic is a chronic disease. And what do I mean by that? What are the consequences of using magic? And so in the book, the disease is called the iron bane. And what that means is, is that the iron in a person's blood reacts negatively to the arcane energy that their body generates if they are a wizard. And what that, the consequence of this antagonism between the iron in in a blood and the arcane energy is that it erodes the nervous system of the practitioner. So what that means is you start to lose your senses. So the wizards in the book slowly lose their vision, their hearing, their sight, their smell, their sense of touch, their ability to control their muscles. And so that uh, is a gradual progression but it's ultimately a fatal outcome to become a wizard is a fatal outcome. And so that's why those born into magic is kind of the, the, what I consider the sad class of wizard, because you have your fate sealed, whether you use magic or not, whether you manipulate the elements or not, the magic that you were born with will kill you. And those that choose to use their magic um, or choose to have their mind unlocked to magic, those people, you have to think, well, why would they do that? They know it's well known in the world that if you become a wizard, you will have your nervous system destroyed. you will lose your ability to see, to hear, to smell, to taste, to touch, and it will kill you. What type of person would want to do that to themselves? What type of person would willingly say, "I know magic will kill me, but I'm going to become a wizard anyway so I can use magic for a time." And it's not a spoiler that you learned this very early on. Thorn is one of those people. He is one of those people that was perfectly normal, quote unquote, but became a wizard. So how is his life constructed? that he wants to use magic and he knows it's gonna kill him. And so yeah. I think that idea of, the, of a magic system or the ability to use magic as a chronic debilitating disease is unique. A lot of times you read magic systems and the two major hallmarks are you have to study for a very long time and when you use it, you get tired. And so I've seen that style over and over again and that's mm-hmm. that's fine, but I wanted something where there were was real stakes and real consequences uh, to that. And so in the path from regret, uh, again, as, as a middle-aged wizard, Thorne has uh, suffered some some consequences. And so in the path from regret, he no longer can smell and taste. So you could, you know, and so, and this actually, I, I wrote this story before uh, COVID happened. But if you kind of look, go back in, in in time and look at some of the stories about consequences of, of COVID and how it kind of destroyed your nervous system and the people that couldn't smell or couldn't taste, or they said everything smells like burnt rubber or tastes <laughs> like styrofoam. Um, that, you know, is, is for the for the progression of the COVID disease, you had that. So maybe two, three weeks a month, hopefully not longer than that. But in Thorne's case, it's permanent. Once he lost his his taste and smell, it's gone forever. So any imagine any meal you enjoy eating, he can't do that anymore. So what is his quality of life as he goes on? Uh, and what it, and is, is losing his senses worth the cost? Is that cost worth the things he can do with his magic? And so that I think is a, a unique feature of the of the magic system is that it's got real stakes. It's actually kind of lousy to be a wizard. Usually, when people read magic or stories about magic or about wizards, they're using wow, wizards are awesome. They can do all this cool stuff. <laughs> they can fly and shoot lightning bolts and you know change into cats and do all this cool stuff. And there's very little consequence to do that. I wanted to make it where the consequences were quite severe.
0: All right. Which, yeah, like you said, that's not a common thing that I've at least heard people discuss was that there's consequences. And I've always, like you said, you get tired or something like that, but you rarely hear there's fatal consequences or there's something at risk for either being a wizard or a mage or what so have you now speaking you spoke of thorn having a rival can you talk a bit on the different villains and different issues that thorn and his group face that is going to actually draw me in because if it's just a stroll through the woods of him getting a bunch of friends you know i'm gonna get bored real quickly and put your book down right Sure.
1: So so there's there's uh several kind of layers of of antagonists. Um and some are explored more than others. The the, the immediate most pressing antagonist is Thorne's ra- uh, former rival, Rihanna. And so this where does this come from? So what's the background? So you learn a little bit through the book that Thorne was part of a program called the Paragons. And so that is a so I guess taking a further step back within so what does it mean to be a wizard? Um in the world that I've constructed, there is a research institute or a research enterprise called the archive. And so each province on the continent where the story takes place, there is one of these large research institutes. And at these archives, that's where the magic and the alchemy get developed. So there's um, research groups or, or kind of research sections and thorn is part of one that's clandestine it's it's secret and this this is the paragon program and it is a program where wizards a very small group of wizards are trying to weaponize magic and so right now magic is benign or helpful but there's a very small group that are trying to turn it into uh, combat purposes and so thorn is basically one of these early uh, adopters of of this idea, and he's part of this Paragon program. So is Rihanna. Now that being said, their reasons for being in this Paragon program are quite different. Uh, as you could imagine, there can be peaceful reasons as a deterrent why you'd want to uh, develop combat magic, and then there are more uh, militaristic or aggressive reasons. And so that's where Thorin and Rihanna kind of have a, a difference of opinion, and. Um, from the story you realize that rihanna is um much more aggressive than thorn and wants to have the paragon program no longer be secret and actually be expanded um and there so that's that's kind of the 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 immediate level of conflict of how thorn is trying to, to stop that he doesn't want that to happen um right. and so that's one layer of conflict and uh, an upper layer of conflict that's um in, more in the, the background, but kind of interweaves through, is the conflict between the three kind of ruling uh, or controlling entities on the continent or within each province. There is the archive itself, which is, is independent because of its power with magic. There are the merchant guilds, of which there are many, which holds the uh, economic and communication and commerce power in the provinces and across the continent. And then there are the ruling princes who control the military and ostensibly they control the province but really it's a balancing act between the three the and they all kind of keep one another in 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 check in that the uh the mages they create the um manipulations and the alchemy that enables the commerce to happen through the guilds the guilds control the princes essentially in the sense of economic power and then the, the princes, uh, through military power, kind of keep the other two from becoming much too powerful. So it's a very delicate balancing act between those three entities, and everyone is vying to get a little bit of that edge. So there's always kind of schemes between, okay, how can the princes try to force the hand of the archive to actually develop military might so that a province can actually have magical weapons and, and magical uh, combat abilities. How is that going to make one province more powerful than another? In terms of the um, the merchant guilds, they don't want that because then if they if any one province is more powerful than the other provinces, neighboring provinces, that's going to disrupt their um, their ability to have free flow of information and goods and services across the conferences. So uh, they don't want war. They don't want war because that's going to disrupt their bottom line. So they're trying to stop that. And then the archives, they're always trying to infiltrate the guilds and the, um, the, the the prince's court in terms of trying to influence their own objective and making mages more accepted. Because, again, there's pockets of, of these various provinces where they are thought of as... Uh, demon worshippers or witches or wizard or or, uh, warlocks and and they're 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 bad they're bad people and so how to to stop that propaganda that wizards are just normal people they're trying to do this thing they have this profession um you might feel bad for them but they're not innately evil uh try to get rid of kind of the the the, the folklore around them and trying to further their influences so those are kind of that's an, a, at another kind of higher level and you see that a little bit the interplay between those three entities but again the the core story is thorne's conflict with rihanna in terms of why she is trying to uh unmask the paragon program and make it not be secret anymore and why is she trying to expand combat magic across the continent and why thorn doesn't want that to happen and why he's trying to suppress it
0: all right now that sounds like a whole lot of adventures and twists and turns and things for him to deal with there in itself so with all that that's happening in your book where do we start off in your book so if i open it up page one what am i looking at is it thorn just starting his adventure, or is it getting to know thorn it's it's getting to
1: know thorn so actually it starts um very um it starts with thorn trying to get a punishment undone and so the so the idea is, is and so i guess kind of the in terms of the conflict to talk about kind of the the nation level conflict the the paragon level conflict and then there's thorn's personal conflict and the, the story actually starts with thorn's personal conflict and his personal conflict were his painful memories he's trying to get (laughs) rid of and so uh that is a spoiler so i don't want to talk about that too much uh but what are his what are his painful memories why is he trying to get rid of them and how is celeste going to help do that and so um as the back cover copy suggested that i read about before he's trying to find celeste he lost track of her and in an attempt to find her uh he wrecks a big chunk of the archive and the ruling council of wizards punish him. And so the the story starts with him trying to get that punishment undone. So you learn a little bit of the politics of the archive. You learn a little bit about um, Thorne's punishment and why he wants it undone and what he's trying to do to restart his search for Celeste so he can get his memories erased. So chapter one, uh, he's actually going to the ruling council to petition to have his punishment rescinded.
0: All right, now with Thorn, I guess the real question is, or one of the questions I have multiple, but it, this question about him is concerned of what kind of person is he? You said he's middle-aged. He ends up getting wrapped up with a a knight or a cav- cavalier, correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could
1: could call him a a knight. I mean, just in swapping terms and terminology, just so you don't always see the knight. But yeah,
0: he he gets mixed up with some knights. I call them cavaliers in the book, but he's a knight. Understand? So he gets mixed up with this younger guy as well. Mm -hmm. So when does the journey actually begin? Where he's going on this journey, and what what makes me what is something that's going to make me like Thorn? Or is he meant to be one of these people that you just you want to see him get beat and bruised, but you like him enough that you want to see him make it through?
1: I think it's that latter one. And so I, I, he's not a classic hero in that he's virtuous and good. He's not a classic uh, anti hero where he's gruff and grumbly with a heart of gold and a gooey center, and you, you <laughs> want to like him despite him being uh, kind of a, a grump. The reviews that I've gotten, the feedback that I've gotten is. You know, you empathize with him, but he's not really a likable character. He's he's uh, he's very pragmatic, but he's not necessarily doing something. Uh, he does the right thing for the wrong reason. And I think okay. he does that often. And I think that's a good way to describe it. He's 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 something you're not going to jump up and down and really root for and cheer for, like saying he's the guy that wants to do it, but you can see like, yeah, I get what he's I get his situation, and it's a lousy one, and I understand why he's doing it, but I'm not gonna invite him over to drink a, a beer and, and hang out <laughs> after work.
0: All right. Now what about this knight, this cavalier? What What's a bit about him because it sounds like he's going to be through in the story throughout? So, how does he come into the story, and what's a bit of this guy's background, or how's he fit in?
1: Sure, absolutely. So, uh, the guy's name is, is, is Carleon, and he is quite young, he gets introduced uh, in chapter two because. Uh, the, the structure of the book is alternating chapters, so chapter one is a Thorne chapter, chapter two is a Carleon chapter, so the perspective or the point of view alternates every other chapter between Carleon and Thorne, so those points of view are pervasive throughout the entire book, and so uh, Carleon gets involved almost immediately, and so uh, you if, immediately from him you get introduced to, to Carleon, uh, he's going to a money lender. Uh, and he is uh, making some type of payment and you don't know exactly what that payment is. That's like, m- you know, mid book spoiler. Uh, so he's making these payments and he's not a knight anymore. And he is actually, uh, he was kicked out of the, the knighthood. So he's a, he's a former cavalier. And so uh, people actually shun him. Uh, so he is what is termed in the book, a, a, a dark man, a man that has been kicked out of the knighthood. And the reason he's called a dark man Uh, Is that the armor that he had as a cavalier has been destroyed and acid washed and blackened uh, to be a mark of shame that he was made a a, a mistake so severe that he was cashiered. He was he was kicked out of the military and they stripped him of all of his weapons and his commission and uh, all the benefits of being a knight except for his. His cuirass, his breastplate, which has all of these damages and um, intentional damages and acid washing and blackening. So, the only thing he has to his past life is this blackened breastplate, and that is the mark of the Darkman. And so, he keeps it around as a scarlet letter, as a badge of shame and as a badge of of, of honor. He won't get rid of it, uh, and he keeps wearing it. And so, you kind of find out why. Uh, throughout the the book, and he's making these payments, but you don't know who to who or for why. Uh, but he makes his living as a mercenary. So there is a mercenary guild that you could think of, uh, you know, as, as paid soldiers. Uh, it, it is a, to be a mercenary in in the book that I've created is an honorable profession. It is a true guild. There is contracts and uh, uh, taxes and uh, you know reputation and um, known lists of mercenaries in each province. So if you are not part of the mercenary guild, you are essentially a brigand uh, or a highwayman, and those are very much frowned upon. But if you're a member of a guild, that is a respectable soldier profession. And so um, ex-city watchmen and ex-soldiers from the military in retirement might become mercenaries if they still are fit enough and want to earn money by their by their sword and their skills, they might join the guild. And so Carleon uh, was kicked out of the knighthood, but he was able to, uh, through a bit of luck, be, uh, become part of the mercenary guild. And so when Thorn gets hints of this um, conspiracy, he realizes he can't do it alone. So a lone mage out in the world is very dangerous, and um, and that's for another aspect of the of the of the magic system that i didn't touch upon before but maybe we can circle back to um but he needs to hire some some hired swords and Carleon is part of the mercenary crew that thorne hires as they start their journey so very early on thorne makes this mistake destroys the the mercenary guild and he basically negotiates that in order to have his punishment rescinded he has to go find this missing mage and he says i can't do that alone i'm going to need some mercenaries he goes to the mercenary guild hires Carleon and a couple others, and then away they go and the chase starts. Uh, and again, right. the, the start of the chase is they're chasing clues. Why is this mage mm-hmm. missing? And then it ultimately rolls back to Rihanna, um, but they don't know that at the start of the story.
0: All right. Now, I so I'm glad you mentioned how the alternating chapters were going because originally I was thinking you said that it was Rihanna was the alternate person, the the villain or the antagonist was the so now that i realize it's both heroes going back and forth the timeline of the story so is it you have thorn talking in at a certain point and then the next chapter is it Carlios talking at the same point in time or is he talking like in a time after it so how's the timeline of those chapters working no,
1: that's a great question. It, it is sequential. So basically, uh, for large portions of the story, Thorin and Carleon are in the same place at the same time. And so with the alternating chapters, they're still doing the same stuff. So uh, the, the, in, for an example, once they actually, Thorin hires Carleon and they leave to chase down the first clue uh, along that journey you get Thorne's perspective and Carlyon's perspective kind of in real time. So basically what's going on. So it's not like a time jump or like um, it's the same event at the exact same time from two different perspectives. It's like, okay, day one of the journey, you hear what Thorne is doing and you understand that Carlyon's there doing some other stuff too. Day two of the journey, now it's Carlyon talking about what he's doing. And so it's kind of very stepwise sequential uh, going along. So there's the only time where I talk about things that are happening concurrently is when Thor and Carlion get separated. And then um, for those parts of the story, which there, there aren't very many, um, that's when the, when the chapters alternate, it's basically things are happening at the same point in time, just in two different locations. But by and large, things are happening at the same time um, sequentially, but from the alternating perspectives.
0: All right, perfect. So you're not reliving the story chapter after chapter. No, you are
1: not. So every chapter is new content going on. So, yeah, you're not just seeing the same event play out from a different perspective. That is not what is happening.
0: All right. Now, let me go here with the type of people that you find enjoy your book. So with fantasy, there's a huge range of people. There's YA fantasy, there's adult fantasy, there's general fantasy, et cetera, et cetera the list is just astronomically large on the amount of different areas. Who do you find really gets into your books the best? What type of people would enjoy reading your books?
1: Sure. I think that the people that might enjoy it would be the, the, the fans of um, the types of books that I really enjoyed growing up. So I'd say fans of Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman, kind of the Dragonland stuff, Raymond E. Feis, uh, and the Sierra D stories. Um, I think those R.A. Salvatore, so all of the uh Drist and and um, um Forgotten Realms types of stuff, uh maybe some fans of Patrick Rothfuss uh and Name of the Wind, uh, stuff like that. I think those. If you like those types of stories, uh, that I think the path from regret would appeal to you more broadly. The characters are all, uh, aside from Car- Carleon, he's kind of the anomaly being in his twenties. Everyone else is older, and you know, in, 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 in the case of the Venhadar, they live two or three hundred years. And the, the the Venhadar characters that uh, are in the book are also in middle, their middle age, so they're you know, one hundred and fifty or so years old. Uh, uh again thorn is in middle age so i think adults and adults in middle age would appear to appeal to them uh, there's not a lot of young characters so i don't think that uh if you're into you know ya fantasy that might not appeal to you as much but if you're into older uh o- older characters or more <laughs> adult themes again the, the themes of the book are uh, memory time and regret and so right. that might not resonate with someone that's 15 or <laughs> 16 but someone that's 40 45 i mean even 35 uh, you know right. once you once you kind of get past your 20s and you are living an adult life or an, an adult adjacent life uh <laughs> those those are i think the people that would appeal to it. so i think that people that are interested in kind of more adult themes with their fantasy might be interested. And then I think the third kind of crop of people that would be interested are those that like lots of magic in, in their stories. There's, there's, um, there's not a lot of, uh, sword play. There's some, but it's more about the magical effects and the magic system and how magic is, is used or employed. And so I, I think that, um, You know, no one's shooting fireballs in in my book, but are are there clever ways that you can manipulate uh, the environment? And so just for for one example uh, that's that's used uh, maybe midway through the book, one of the practitioners uh, creates a canoe exclusively from leaves. And so how, how is this uh, canoe constructed from leaves? How do they assemble it? How is it held together? How is it watertight? That kind of practical application of, of magic um, that is you know, non-combat. How is that uh, applied? I think folks would be interested in that. There is some combat magic because obviously Thor and Rihanna are, are paragons. They've been trained to use magic as a weapon, but that is quite rare. Uh, so you're not going to get any Jim Butcher-like, you know, <laughs> Uh, effects right. right it's not it's not that's not the type of book so it, it, in terms of if you like things that have lots of magic but don't necessarily want lots of explosions that would be um i think a third group that would would it would appeal to um and and ultimately who is the audience of the book it's me uh i i wrote the book that i wanted to read and so that was kind of the dream is i always wanted to write a book that i wanted to read and so i huge fans of all of the the authors that have kind of name checked through the episode but there's right. always there was always something that i felt was missing And it was kind of that uh, slight dissatisfaction that was a big driver of the book. Like, what are the elements and the conversations and the conflicts that I wanted to see? And so the path from regret uh, has a lot of those elements of things that I think are cool uh, that that are in the book. Now, whether that will appear to appeal to other people, I hope so. Uh, but, but ultimately I wrote the book that I wanted to read. So the, the, the best audience is is me. Um, but I, I'm hoping that by, by talking with you and sharing with your audience that other folks would, would find it interesting as well.
0: I hope so too. I know that I'm looking forward to reading it myself. So like I said at the beginning of the, before I think we even started the interview, I'm planning on going through and reading your book as well. It, even before our talk, it was on my list to read. So That I'm looking forward to. Now, let me do this. Well, actually, before I let you go, because I don't want to take up too much of your time, I do have one more question. Sure. And one thing I find is I look at books differently if I know they're a series or if they're standalone. And I know some people write their series as standalones. Are you planning on having this expand out more, or is this going to be... The only story that Thorn is in Carlos is going to be in, or is it going to keep going?
1: No, that's a great question. So uh, it's something that you that you you, you mentioned uh, in, in asking the question. It's going to be a series of standalones. And so, what do I mean by that? Um, so the path from regret, uh, I have a vision of um, it being four books. And so, what do I mean by by that? But the, but not a series. And so um, the Organization for the 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 four books is a, a a given point in a given decade of Thorne's life. So right now, uh, the the path from regret is a point in Thorne's life when he is uh, middle aged in his forties. Then uh, the project that I'm working on now um, is Thorne in his twenties. So it's actually twenty years before the events of the path from regret, and so that's the project that I'm finishing up now. And then there's going to be uh, a, and this, the intent is to, for it to be 100% standalone. That you can read that, you don't have to read anything else, and that's a standalone story. There might be some common threads or some Easter eggs that you can pick up on, but it's meant to be an independent reading experience, and you don't need any background information. That and so that's why you know the path from regret is its own story. But if you work backwards to the story that's uh, that I'm finishing up now, when Thornton his 20s, and the one that I'm plotting out now, where Thorns in his 30s you don't need those. And then the final story is when Thorne is in his uh, 50s. And so uh, that's the last one uh, in the, the four-book series. That's not to say he's going to die when he, he's in his 50s, um, but there's going to be, I already have that outline figured out. There's a clear, distinct final end to thorn's story, if you will, um, but that is a standalone as well. So there's going to be, you know, thorn's saga or whatever you want to call it. It's going to be four books, but the intent is that each one could be a standalone reading experience. But if you do read them all, you could read them out of order if you wanted, and it's not going to diminish the enjoyment you hopefully get out of them. There's no prerequisite reading.
0: All right. Perfect. So that helps me understand what to expect very much. So I do appreciate that. And Jeffrey, I appreciate you being on. I've enjoyed talking with you. I mean, there, there sounds like there's a whole lot more we can dig into in your books and just keep discussing. But one is we've been talking for almost an hour now and, You know, there is time limits in all this. so Absolutely. I have a profile of you on authorblurb.com where you've given me links, you've given me information about yourself that people can read and find you. But say if somebody doesn't want to go to my website to find you, where do you prefer them to reach out to you?
1: So the best way to find me is my author website, which is jgardnerauthor.com. So uh, for a number of of personal and professional reasons, I don't have uh, a social media presence. So uh, the best way to get a hold of me would be the Goodreads page that I have or my Amazon author page. uh, But the absolute best place would be jgardnerauthor.com, which is my my author website.
0: All right. Perfect. And again, I appreciate you being here. I'm looking forward to reading your book. This is going to be the end of the conversation for everybody else. But if you can hold on for me for just a few moments, I'd like to talk to you a little bit more. Absolutely. Thank you very much for uh, the invitation. Thank you. So thank you for making it this far. Remember, you can go to authorblurb.com where there's plenty of stuff there for you to find. Enjoy another author. Enjoy finding that book that you love. So take the time. Do me a favor. Share. Subscribe. Enjoy the show and tell others. Thank you.